0: You know, several years ago, I began exploring an opportunity to grow in my leadership skills, and I applied for a cohort program called Arrow Leadership. Uh, and upon news of my acceptance, I looked forward to fine-tuning my abilities as a leader. But before our first of three week-long retreats, they had us undergo all these assessments, rigorous assessments that we had to complete. And I thought, man, this is great. I look forward to becoming like a high-performance, Leadership machine, fueled by objective data. Kind of like putting your car on a dyno before you make performance upgrades, right? I had rocked all the readings, submitted all my assignments, and I hoped that they would secretly, I hoped that they would confirm how great of a leader I already was. You know, I wanted to put myself out there as a confident and capable leader amongst my cohort. I expected to come back from each retreat with tools for greater effectiveness. But at the first retreat, they had us do all these team-building activities that forced us to cooperate with other leaders. (laughs) We were organized into clusters of four people so we could share our stories and process together. They had us meet at every retreat with a psychotherapist and with a mentor regularly throughout the week. So that we could, uh, and, and I was paired with Kevin who would be my roommate, and de facto bedside counselor at all three retreats so that we could process all that God was doing in our lives. And over the course of two years, I discovered that the changes that I wanted to see in my life were a little different from the changes that God actually wanted to do in my life. And the way I began to see those changes was through these multiple layers of community that had surrounded me through this program. Transformation wasn't really something that I could do only by myself and on my own terms, as much as I'd like to. You know, in many ways, I think what I learned by participating in this leadership program is an image of what we hope to do and embody here at WCF. Over these past weeks, we are going through the We Are WCF sermon series, as Crystal alluded to in the introduction, and we have been looking at each phrase in our vision to be a community of authentic community, of vibrant worship, of personal transformation and of social impact. And today we're going to look at this phrase, personal transformation, by reflecting on John 13 that Scott just read for us. And in this scene between Jesus and his disciples, we discovered that this work of personal transformation often happens in community. And specifically, a real work of personal transformation can happen when you pay attention to the following. When you pay attention to the environment, to the editor, and to the example. uh, The work of personal transformation can take place when we put ourselves in a good environment, work with a good editor, and follow a good example. You know, John chapter 13 seems to be a rather unlikely setting for deep personal transformation to take place because it happens just after a series of really incredible, big, exciting moments. The week prior. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus had just wowed the crowd by raising Lazarus from the dead in the town of Bethany. And from Bethany, he travels into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, welcomed with the fanfare of a king, deserving of a king. And you think that these big scenes are the occasions for change to take place, but they're not. John tells us at the end, uh, towards the end of the previous chapter, saying that even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, They still would not believe him. Despite witnessing these big moments, the crowds didn't experience real change. Can you think of some big experiences that you're hoping for that will bring change? Will they? In John chapter 13, John slows down the pace of storytelling, taking the next five chapters to describe what's happening over a meal the final meal that the disciples have with their beloved leader, Jesus. And it's not amidst the crowds or amongst the exciting moments that the disciples realize what is about to happen to Jesus and to their own lives. It's amidst a meal, together with friends mostly, except for one who would betray. It's in that setting, this setting that change takes place. It's amidst a, re- a meal of rich smells and flavors and textures set in the home of a gracious host that this conversation takes place. Jesus knew that before uh, the meal began, it's up on the screen that something significant was going to happen. He had in his mind this environment which where his rather dense students would hopefully catch on to what he was about. And it's in the middle of a meal that Jesus pauses to do something that no upstanding Jew, let alone a respected teacher, would ever do. Jesus pauses to serve his students by washing their feet. If you're willing, I'll invite you to close your eyes just for a moment and imagine being in that room. If you're online at worshiping with us, do it as well. That's why we put the screen up so you don't have to look at me. Close your eyes and just imagine yourself being in that room. What do you smell? Maybe it's the aroma of the, the food that has been prepared that's on the table tinged with, you know, the musky, sweaty bodies packed into that room. As you look around, you see the eyes that are all locked in on Jesus. Bodies are leaning towards him with maybe an elbow on the table, and the feet are pointed away from the table towards the wall, or you see flickering shadows of everyone in the room, cast by the firelight. And as it continues, you realize appetites have been wetted by the first few dishes of the meal, but no one's really full yet. But everyone is hungering for more than the food because they consider the possibility that this just might be the last meal with their master. And it's in this setting that the master and teacher not only speaks, but reaches out to your feet with his strong hands. And you can't help but notice those palms that are calloused by years of carpentry work. And one by one, he goes around the table. He takes a towel and a basin to wash off the grime of the day, maybe even several days from your feet. He reaches between your toes He scrubs your cracked and dried heels that no one ever touches except you. You feel a bit awkward. As Jesus does this, he looks into your eyes with warmth and love. But you can't help but notice that he seems to be carrying something heavy too. This is the environment that Jesus chooses to do his work of change in our lives. You can open your eyes now. You know, that scene is slightly disarming, partly because it's not very COVID friendly. But in our current days of engaging with content on glass touch screens, backlit by LED displays, listening along to audio, personalized audio signals delivered through wireless earbuds, our modern environment for personal change emphasizes just how personal it can be. I choose what content to engage with, based on what I've chosen in the past that the algorithms figure out for me. I choose what to scroll past or when to pause when I need to attend to other things. I choose to increase the playback speed to my liking. I always listen to things at double speed. (laughs) I choose to watch a recording of a live stream or a Zoom call at my convenience. And I might even choose to do all these things over a meal that's been delivered to my door. Personal transformation nowadays is truly personalized, perhaps to a fault. The scene in John reminds us that God's work of change often happens in settings that aren't always to our expectations and aren't always according to our choosing. How often do we allow ourselves to be in environments where everything isn't under our complete control? control and according to our preferences, according to our schedule. Personal transformation often happens in environments of unexpected community and relationships. You know, last week, many of us had an opportunity to be together at the annual church retreat, and most of us didn't get to choose who we sat with, what we did at what time. Maybe you didn't even know what the schedule was, and that made a lot of you anxious. You're there, I know that. You didn't get to choose who you ate or even what you ate and who you could sit with as you did. At WCF, we hope to create environments like the retreat or in our adult nurture classes or in small groups or our gatherings here on Sunday where we can allow Jesus to do his work of personal transformation in each one of us. It's in these environments that we fight the tidal wave against uh, that's around us for the work of personal transformation to be merely personalized, according to our choosing. You know, therapist, author, and Atlantic advice columnist Laurie Gottlieb describes how personal change, the nature of change, the nature of life is change, but the nature of people is to resist change. We don't like change, right? Isn't that true for most of us? We don't like change. Or perhaps Maybe more accurately, we don't like, we resist change when it's us that has to do it, but we embrace change when others have to do it. Right? In a TED Talk, she speaks of how personal change happens when we allow good and helpful editors into the storylines that we live by. And she says, we are all unreliable narrators of our own lives. We don't purposely mislead others. Most people tell the truth based on what they know at the time. Stories are the way that we make sense of our lives. But what happens if the stories we tell are incomplete or just wrong? You know, it's so helpful for us to have people who help us see the stories that we're living by. She goes on to describe how having wise and good editors around us that can speak compassionately and truthfully into our lives. Wise editors help us see another part of the story that we are failing to see ourselves. And even more insightfully, Gottlieb describes how we often view our experiences in the past as the primary shaping factors in the stories of our lives. And that is true to a certain degree, but she says, And so understanding our past and understanding what happens to us is what people often go to therapy for. It helps us understand the problems that we're facing. But Gottlieb suggests that, in fact, it's changing our storylines that we live by that we really begin to change our lives. Changing our storylines helps us change our lives. And just like gifted writers seek good editors for their writing, We need wise and compassionate editors to help us see the storylines that we're living by. In John chapter 13, the storylines of the disciples need some editing, and they find themselves in this room with their master and teacher, but also the greatest editor in all of humanity and creation. John tells us the the creative power of Jesus as the master editor in the opening verses, where he says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Jesus knew that, in verse 3, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. Jesus, the editor and author of creation, knew the moment of universal conflict was coming to a climax in history. He was about to leave the world and return to the Father. That was the storyline that he was living A betrayal was impending, motivated by the great but hardly equal antagonist known as the devil. And despite having the power and the title and the authority to do as he pleased, Jesus helps them edit their stories in a very unexpected way. What does he do in verse 4? So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist, began to pour water into a basin and wash the disciples' feet. The sow at the beginning of verse 4 tells us that it's not because of his authority, uh, it's because of his authority and power, not in spite of his authority and power, that he chooses to edit the storylines of his disciples by washing their feet. Jesus doesn't edit their storylines by making all their problems go away. He doesn't make their anxieties disappear. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them how great they are or how great they're going to be if they follow him. He doesn't snap his fingers and call on all the angels at his disposal to come and crown his disciples as the fellow court advisors in this new kingdom. In fact, later in the chapter, he tells them some pretty tough truth bombs. One of you is going to betray me. Another of you is going to deny me, even though you promised me to my face that you're not. In the following chapters, he tells them that the world is going to hate them. I don't know about you, but those aren't the kind of storylines that I want to hear. But amidst all these difficult storylines, Jesus tells them that there's a new storyline of God's comforting presence in the person of the Holy Spirit that's coming to them. He tells them about the end of the story where there's a house that's being built with rooms that have been prepared for each one of them. He tells them uh, how to stay connected to the story like a branch to a vine, branches to a vine. But before he tells them all these things, he simply serves them. He washes their dirty, grungy, calloused feet. Now Peter's response is so ADD in verses 6 to 8. First, he refuses Jesus' actions because in this his storyline that he's thinking, the master and teacher and king that Peter has in mind doesn't do the things that Jesus is doing right now. And Jesus corrects them, saying, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And what does Peter say? Then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Give me a shower. Peter is Jesus' ultimate fanboy, according to his expectations, hoping Jesus will lead Peter and his fellow Jews to a place of respect and honor as the long-awaited Messiah. In this scene, though, Jesus lowers himself to do a task reserved for the most menial of laborers at the time. The great editor begins to edit their stories, inviting them to true personal transformation by doing what no one else imagined would be done. The act of foot washing is a foreshadowing of what is about to happen in the next 24 hours for Jesus when Jesus gives his life on the cross for the sins of of humanity. I find it significant that Jesus edits their storylines not via sharing a Google doc. Of course, that didn't exist, but if he did it today, I don't think he would do it that way. He doesn't do it through one-on-one counseling session. This editing doesn't come through a personal spiritual experience. The editing process takes place in this environment, in a home of smells and flavors and of touch and of speaking. True change takes place in relationship with others, witnessing and watching. In fact, it's thanks to John, one of those witnesses in that room with Jesus, who records it for us so that we can enjoy the story and enter into the story many generations later. You know, ultimately, this scene reveals how Jesus isn't just the greatest editor for our personal transformation. Jesus is also the great example. He's not just the great editor, but he is also the great example for us to follow. Scroll t- you know, towards the end of the chapter, and what does Jesus say? Verses 15. I have set you as an example. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a master messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus instructs them to follow his example of washing one another's feet and discover a life of true blessing. Now, the example that Jesus asks us to follow could literally be washing one another's feet. We should never preclude that from a possibility. But I think a wider application of Following Jesus' example would be willing would be the willingness to enter into the nitty, gritty, uh, messy parts of uh, places of other people's lives. Following in Jesus' footsteps isn't just about the transformation from difficulty to ease, from discomfort to comfort, from poverty to riches. but that transformation is a entering in at, And and following that example is entering into the stories of other people's lives. Sitting in the room with them, hearing what their concerns and what their longings are. Washing one another's feet is being willing to see what other people are failing to see in their own stories and maybe what God is doing in their lives. Because they may be reticent to reveal what their own grungy, calloused, painful feet have taken them. You know, we are invited to follow this example of Jesus. We are invited to be humble and wise and compassionate, supporting characters in this story, to help edit the stories of our neighbors and of our friends and of our family members by pointing them to Jesus, the greatest editor in the universe. That's how meaningful personal transformation happens. And that's what we are invited to do here together at WCF. You know, the Apostle Paul re- recapitulates this call in his letter to the Ephesians, saying, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, not just by yourself, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that Jesus had the very nature of God, yet didn't consider that equality with God to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Someone who would serve by washing the feet of his students. And he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. You know, Jesus steps into our environment. He steps from heaven into earth, takes on an earthly body, and he begins doing the editing work of the, in the story and in the history of the universe. But in telling us to follow his example, we discover that the way of Jesus is also always the way of personal transformation for ourselves and for others as well. If you've been in the Christian faith for a while, maybe you have PTSD from when it comes to words like evangelism or missions work. You may not want to be associated with our sincere and well-meaning sisters and brothers in Christ, who preach on the street corners, passing out tracts, or march around the Capitol with these big signs that you may or may not agree with. Or maybe you agree with them when it's in church, but out on the street, it looks a bit out of place. Or maybe you're not sure about the social media posts on their, on their wall that are a little bit too shouty. I think if we all read the same scriptures, though, all followers of Christ should come to the same conclusion, that sharing the message of Jesus and of God's work in the world is a worthy message To share, is it not? But how do we do it in a compelling and relevant way? If you're like me, perhaps you're reluctant to even mention the name of Jesus sometimes in conversations with strangers because you don't know what their perception is. That's a real thing for many of us. But what if we approach sharing the message of God's love and of God's hope and of transformation from the position of being fellow and mutual story editors. Now, you don't just go in and tell them, I'm going to edit your story. <laughs> but it changes your posture and approach. Here's what, I'm, here, yeah, you don't go in. Here's what's wrong with your life. Here's what's, here's a different story to live by. Rather than forcing an irrelevant message upon our neighbors and friends and family with language and vocabulary that only Christians understand within the walls of the church, maybe we take some time to hear their stories first. We're listening for their longings and their desires and their concerns in the words and the vocabulary that they are using. And maybe you're here today wondering about that for yourself. I'd love to hear your story. Have a coffee with you. Hear what God is doing or what longings or what things that you are facing. And from that, we ask the Spirit of God to help us discern how the story of God's good work in Jesus Christ is intersecting with the story of our friends and of our family and of our neighbors. And then, from that place, we ask for an opportunity to consider maybe a different storyline that you have come to know and live by and appreciate. Doesn't that sound way more compelling? It does for me. We want to bring lasting and true change to others. And we can do it by pointing them to the story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and renewal of all things. As we do so, we find that God does the work of personal transformation in our lives as well as we retell the story for our friends. We are invited into that work of personal transformation as we do so. We begin to see the story that God is writing in history afresh as we engage in the stories of our neighbors and friends and families. So my friends, put yourselves in environments where Jesus can encounter you and continue his great editing work in the story of your life. And follow the great example of Jesus, the great editor, by putting yourself in the environments to hear stories of others around you. Be changed by Jesus. Bring change to others with Jesus. Let's do that together. Amen.